Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección Welcome back to the Peruvian Walk Podcast I'm your host Brian Birdie and I'm joining here from Lima, Peru as always uh, I'm joined by Christopher Biscardo in Utah who seems to have slowed down a little bit on the different locations in every part like he's been more consistent in recent time. How are you, Christopher? Wherever you're joining us from? Well, I am in Lehigh, Utah, right now, uh, with the exciting news that I will be attending the Peru-USA match in Connecticut next month. So that's kind of what's new with me. So that m- might mean that I might do the show from Connecticut. We'll see. Whew. But there, there's a good chance. That I might be doing either the show from Connecticut or New York City. We'll see. We'll, we'll, I'll let you know so that you can uh, prepare yourself, uh, Brian. We're also joined by Peter Villando, as always, in uh, in Toronto. I almost forgot where you're from. How are you, Peter? <laughs> no worries. I'm doing well. Uh, hopefully, we'll be joining Christopher in Connecticut because that is actually something I have my eye on, depending on my work schedule. So maybe, maybe awesome. it'll be both of us in the tri-state yeah, area dude. doing the show live. Oh, well, and there's also the chance that... Uh, Diego? Diego, yes. I'm sorry, Diego, if you're listening to this. I totally know who you are. How, how, yes. how are you guys going? Diego, how are you guys going to plan a Peruvian Waltz reunion without me? Like, well, there's nothing holding you back, man. Just got to buy yourself a plane ticket and uh, go I, through I have no money right now, so how am I going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's North America that easily, man. Looks like Peter's going to meet Christopher face-to-face before me. So enough rambling. Let's actually get started with the pod. So Peru lost both their games, which me and Peter said in the last podcast that uh, we were going to lose both their games, and look at that, we were right. So uh, I, I'm not happy that we were right, but you know what? It was it was the, it was very obvious. I mean, the Netherlands, well, the better second half, we could have saw that out. I mean, I'll, I'll go into the whole Netherlands match later. I, I thought they were approaches in the first half, and the second half they were a lot better. That's what the Netherlands won, but. Um, Against Germany, they actually did play well. You could see there's a lot of work to do. I mean, the squad's kind of had its day, and I think there's a lot of changes we should make. And we'll discuss those soon. First of all, just a brief consensus on the two matches. Uh, I'll let Christopher go first. What was your brief consensus of these two? Well, first of all, I think that with both of them, we saw Peru doing well in one half and then just doing terrible in the other. Uh, With the Netherlands match, it was first... Uh, the first half was kind of Peru's highlight. And with the uh, Germany match, it was the second half, in my opinion. I think that overall, there was no disastrous performances from any one particular player. But there was, um, unfortunately, some teamwork aspects of the game that need to be refined. Peter, why don't you go with your uh, opinions? Yeah, I agree with Christopher. It was obviously a tale of two halves in both games. It was just sort of a contrast based on which half Peru actually played well in. The Germany game to me was a lot more encouraging, and I think that's because of the fact that you look at the the game against Holland, it was so obvious that so many of these Peruvian players were not match fit in comparison to their opponents. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once they played Germany, you could kind of see that especially those players who maybe hadn't gotten a lot of minutes like Anderson Santa Maria, uh, Miguel Trauco, et cetera, et cetera. You could see that they started to grow into the game a lot quicker against Germany. And I think that made a massive difference in the first half, um, or sorry, in the second half, excuse me, because you saw that they were able to last a little bit longer, which I think was a big issue 
against Holland, that and the fact that Frankie de Jong just completely tore apart the Peruvian midfield um, in Amsterdam. But generally speaking, look, we knew that there were going to be kinks in the armor. We knew that there were going to be some issues. Um, I think most of the problems came down to the fact that the team just wasn't really in sync. Because uh, obviously spending a few months apart, not really playing at their clubs, at least in some of the players' cases, I think that was always going to affect them. But I think we can take solace in the fact that Peru actually, sure, you can argue whether the intensity of the match was all there and, and whether the opposition maybe had all their resources put into these games. But the fact that they were able to take it to both of these teams, even if it was just for one half each, I think is very, very good because these are where you learn valuable lessons. And it was Antoine Griezmann, who I believe it was before uh, France played Germany in the Nations League, he was asked about um, basically the World Cup opposition they played against. And he mentioned that Peru was actually the best team that they faced in Group C, talking about France, um, but that they maybe just didn't have enough experience, especially against marquee opposition. And that's why these friendlies are so important, because you get that experience against marquee opposition, you are punished for not finishing your chances, and you're punished for individual mistakes. Case in point, the two errors that Anderson Santa Maria committed against Germany. Well, first, before we get to the questions, because we're going to segue the questions into We've got a lot of questions today we have to answer. We're not going to segue the questions into the discussion. But first of all, who would you like to see in the October call-ups? I'll let Christopher go first, because I know Peter's going to say what I'm going to say. He's going he's gonna to steal my ideas. <laughs> Christopher go first, and then me and Peter kind of like split it. So, Well, I think that there's different factors that are kind of hurting Peru right now. Like Peter mentioned, first of all, there are some key players that are unfortunately not seeing minutes with their clubs. Uh, I think that overall, the fact that the game was so, well, I don't want to say rushed, but, well, maybe it was rushed in that, you know, we were waiting for Gareca to renew his contract. We waited for that for a while. He said that he didn't pick the, the opposition that we were going to face this month. And then, you know, we were kind of like, on the go, and then everybody kind of just met in Europe, and that was, that was it. While usually Gareca's style of training starts two weeks, sometimes even two and a half weeks before the match, and, you know, he starts slowly, starts working first with the defense, who are usually uh, players that are based in Peru that can leave their clubs early and so forth and starts building from there. Uh, so... The reason why I'm saying all of this and segueing it into like who do I want to see is because I think that those two factors are going to be important before we start playing the chess game in which we're going to take, a, you know, replace pieces. Um, but with that said, I think that I think that all lines of Peru do need some reinforcing, do need to see some new faces for competition amongst the players. And also to start trying out um, new players uh, for the cycle that will be coming up next year with the Copa America and with the qualifiers. So therefore, I think that I want to see I want to see someone like Concha uh, for sure. Benavente, uh, like honestly, holy cow! I I know that Gareca didn't mean to call him. He he called him way too late, which is why he wasn't in the squad this time. But we need we need to try him. I mean, uh, I don't know if he's a, a like the replacement for Cueva, but at least we need to try him and see if he can if he can strengthen us and and kind of help us uh, set things in balance. Other than that, 
I do think that we need to try the uh, Duarte on goal also, start giving him a few minutes with the national team. Uh, those are probably the three names that, that come to mind uh, right away. I'm sure that you guys will have some more. I mean, I totally agree with all three of those names. The problem with Duarte for me, though, is he's not playing with Lobos, um, which I think is going to come into effect. That doesn't mean that I don't want to see him. I certainly do. I think even if he isn't match fit, he's still one of the most talented goalkeepers Peru has at their disposal. So it can't hurt to give him a shot, even just to have him in camp, uh, much like what happened in March. Um, in terms of the other names, agreed with Goncha as well. Um, I think Peru needs someone who can drive the play forward. That's why I'd like to also see Calcaterra start a little bit more uh, if he gets called back in October and November because um, I think he can give you a little more dynamism in that midfield, which I think Peru really lacked. They lacked just cohesion and the ability to control a game. Yes, you don't always expect that against quality opposition because um, you are maybe expected to absorb a bit more pressure, but when Peru got the ball, they couldn't string passes together. And that was a big problem to me. Goncha may be a little bit more of a dribbler than he is a passer, which is why another name I'd like to see is maybe Jesus Fratel, um, who can, I think, fill in one of those deeper positions. That would be very, very ideal. And in terms of maybe another name that comes to mind, I'm sure Brian would bring it up as well, but who is currently away right now fixing his internet. Um, <laughs> we'll blame is... it on Peruvian internet. We will always blame the Peruvian internet. Uh, another name as well, which I'm sure Brian's going to agree with me, is Flavio Gomez. Because, I mean, I'm sure, Christopher, you'll agree with me on this mm -hmm. one too. I think part of those, or part of the problems for Peru is, maybe on the left wing, because Edison Flores is not quite back in sync yet. Mm -hmm. So why not give Flavio Gomez a shot? Uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned the number 10 spot, which Cueva, okay. These two friendlies didn't really show up. I think that has a lot to do with the fact he hasn't been starting with Krasnodar as the season has started. So why not give Christian Benevente a shot? Because you know he's going to be in better form. He can give you, again, more dynamism in the final third um, and supply fantastic service to someone like uh, Raul Ruiz, right? So I completely agree with your names. Just to throw one in there, though, probably Jesus Pretel, someone who I think has been exceptional in Peru this season. And if you look at, in terms of who leads the league in passes forward, progressive passes, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Pratel is right up there with all age groups, not just under 21 players, under 23 players, but out of all players in the Peruvian league. So maybe a name to consider. Uh, Pratel is definitely a good shout. I think my pick though, if we're going to pick a midfielder, I would pick Alexis Arias. And I said this on Twitter many times. I saw him today against Ayacucho. And I really think he has what it takes. He plays like Yotun. He's well-trained in the arts of defense. He's also good at long balls, kind of like what Yatun does. He's good at uh, picking out a pass. With, uh, he has some good vision. I think he can do a job in that. Not the ball movement. That's another thing he was. I was impressed with today. I was usually, I always thought he was like the just little typical deep line playmaker that kind of just sits in that hole and just picks out passes. But no, he's more than that. Uh, now, now keep in mind he did look out of his depth in the Panamericanos. You know that one where we lost to Panama two one with the last minute penalty. When we lost to uh, Brazil 4-0, and I think with, with four goals like in the first few minutes. You know, that really crappy side that still had uh, the reserve Universitario player, Mago now who's now playing Copa Peru. Um, uh, that, that was, they look out of his depth there, but I think he's matured, and I think he showed Melgar in the last few years that he, he, he can be called up. There's potential play around. Same with the Libertadores. He didn't look that good 
And to not sound like a hypocrite, because I always criticize uh, Holbrook for this, but uh, I do think that uh, Holbrook is kind of like at his, at his peak right now, whereas uh, Adias is still young and you can play around his potential. So I think that's the, that's the difference between those two. Another name I want to throw up, maybe Patricio Arce, who's been exceptional with Melgada, but maybe at the same time he's kind of like Holbrook. I mean, I don't know how he's going to do. I, I haven't seen him much in the Libertadores compared to other players. He didn't play as much. But uh, he's a player that maybe try out. Uh, I don't know. He could be a Holbrook as well. But So uh, those are a few players. Uh, what do you guys think of those names before uh, we get on to the first question, which is actually answered in the chat? So to add on to the Adias point, because – one of my biggest takeaways from this friendly, and I'm sure many other people have noticed the same thing. In fact, they all replied to my tweets saying, oh, I totally agree with you on this. Yoshimaru Yotun has not been good for about a year. Um, yeah. He has slowly declined really since he joined MLS, which I don't think is a coincidence at all. Because um, in MLS, you don't have, sorry, you have more time to think on the ball. You have less pressure on you. So when you go from that to facing a high-pressing Germany side or a high-pressing Dutch side or just in general a quality opponent, you're going to experience a drastic difference, obviously. So when it, came, when it comes to Adias, Brian makes great points in that he does play very similarly to Jotun. He is also very defensively responsible. And if you just look at the underlying numbers in the Peruvian League, he actually is among the top 20, 25 players in progressive passes. So passes forward and passes into the final third. So he's someone who can advance the ball. The question what we got on the other chat, before we can go to the, the real questions, what proving under 23s and under 20 should we look at? Now I'll have some more obscure names that I think really can make it to the top. I'll let Peter go with some of the more obvious ones though, as well as Christopher. Okay, well, the obvious ones that I didn't mention are Bretel, um, obviously Christopher and I mentioned Concha, those have to be the two leading candidates. Um, Flavio Gomez counts as an under-23 player, certainly should be considered. I think, and this all depends on how he performs um, in the next month or so, because maybe he m might be more of a candidate for November, but maybe even next month. Uh, Roberto Siucho, because the last few games, he's actually been quite good for La U. Um, he's been scoring goals, assisting, and he's also shown a little bit of flexibility with his roles. He's been playing both on the left and the right under Cordova, and he's definitely one of the more talented Peruvian under-20 players from the 2017 cycle that we've produced. Um, so as long as his form is good, I say why not? But other than that, can't really think of any others off the top of my head who would be worthy of a call-up at this point. I think that you that Peter just mentioned uh, the most important ones. To be honest with you, uh, I think you guys are the the youth experts. As I as I usually don't follow as closely uh, who who the next um, pro players will be. I mean, I should be more careful than that, honestly. But uh, I think that we have hope in this next generation that that will be coming up uh, soon. We see him. We just saw him have uh, a really good game against Ecuador. I'm trying to think of a name. Maybe you can help me, Peter. He's a young guy that plays for Rosario. I believe he was with Sporting Cristal before that. Oh. He scored an Olympic goal. I mean, oh. this that's just enough, you know, I, I think if you score an Olympic goal, I mean, you must be doing something right. right? You know, I, I know that, some, that is some poor uh, 
selecting, obviously there's more qualities that, that dictate whether a player should be part of a national team. But uh, he really excited me. I, I mean, honestly, like, he, I, I just saw that and uh, made me think uh, that we have, uh, there's hope for the future. Arasco, right? Yes, Arasco. Ah, that's, that's right. right. Okay. That's right. Yes, yes. So, okay, so if anything, I'll throw that name into the pot. But, but yeah, other than that, all the other names that we kind of did mention before and the ones that Peter just brought up, I think that all of those are good candidates. I'll, nothing there uh, sticks out where I would say, no, that's not a bad, you know, that's a bad option or whatever. The first name I'm going to say, and this is someone everyone knows that I'm going to say, is Pedro Diaz from Manucci. I saw him on the weekend. This is the first time I've seen him live. I've seen him a few games otherwise. He's a phenomenal keeper. Like, he's going to end up in Primera Edición. He, here's some backstory. He started at Racing de Huamachuco. I don't know if he's actually from Huamachuco. Uh, just kind of like where Cuela is. Cuela is from Huamachuco, if you don't know that. But um, Pedro Diaz, is, he played for Racing Huamachuco. That year, they got to the Finalissima, the Copa Peru. And... Uh, uh, Manucci were impressed. They were impressed and they signed him up. 19 years old, starting keeper, best keeper in the league. Like, that's no small feat. Now, it is a question of seeing him in Primera División to see if he could uh, if he could really get to the top. And I think that uh, – I, I definitely think that he can. I, I, I personally think that he has the ability to do it because he um, – I mean, it's always hard to tell us who the players where there is like I've, – I've used this example in the special pod, but – uh, like think Jordan Rhodes. Jordan Rhodes, too good for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League. I think Pedro Diaz is about that because he's young. He's got a lot of potential to play with. He's got 20 years old. He's, he's younger than me, actually. And um, there's a lot of things that uh, I think he's tipped for. I think he's got to play in Primera first. Uh, if Sarajevo or Manucci go up, hopefully he's one of those clubs. Uh, and Because uh, I'm, I'm pretty certain one Trujillo club is going to go up at least. Uh, if it's not, I'll be surprised. But I, I, I think that uh, he's, he's a good option to look at in the future. Right now, it's way too early. I mean, you can't call him for playing in the Segunda. I think he's the next um, the next name, the next the next goalkeeper after Galese, if everything pinpoints right to him. Rivera has his flaws, but he's still a very good keeper. Um, and there's also, there's one, there's two other players that I want to mention that are very interesting. First of all, is Anthony Rossell for Ayacucho. I saw him again today, and I was impressed yet again. He's probably Ayacucho's best player and best under the radar player as well because everyone talks about Montes, Rosel, Ardiles. I think this is the best under radar name just because he's a left back, and he does he does a lot of the things that clicks for the team. That makes the team click. And lastly, Carlo Cabello, who's very technical for Cantolao, and that is just he's a, he's, he's a future. Uh, he's going to fight out with Roberto Villamani for the future of that right back spot, I think. So, anyways, um, well, Peter, why don't we get to some of the other questions? One that segues particularly into this, uh, some of the specific players we want to talk about. I know we got one yep. on Lopez, one on YouTube. So, why don't we segue into one of those? Sure. So, uh, there was actually, yeah, there were a couple. Um, but we'll start first because we talked about youth players. Rodrigo Paredes at Walls Rod asked us which players from the current under twenty squad will follow will follow, excuse me, Marcos Lopez as the next call ups. Uh, for Gareca. Um, we mentioned a couple there. I'll throw in another one just because I think we do have a bit of a striker problem, but it's obviously all dependent on them playing. Maybe Christopher Olivares or Fernando Pacheco. Um, Maybe Suso have... gets back into action. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any other names possibly from the current under-20 setup? There's not many nines, to be honest. Like, I mean, we, we have players coming through, but that nine position is the one we're struggling with. Yeah, it's the true. Only one, the only one I can think of is Olivares. That's really uh, it. 
Um, and even I he's mean, not playing regularly, I right? I mean, you, said, you mentioned Ugarisa before, but I think Ugarisa has a future in Peruvian football, not in yes. the national team. Yeah, 100%. So, so Robbie C at BNCEO asked us, will any European-based players be called up for the October friendlies? I guess the one leading candidate would be Christian Benevente, but other than that, I mean, is there anybody else? Well, really? Reiner. Jean-Pierre Reiner. Jean-Pierre Reiner, that's true, yeah. Should have gotten mm-hmm. called up in this cycle. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are probably the two, I think, lead candidates, although I think Reiner might have a better chance than Benevente because for whatever reason, he's in Gareca's in Gareca's black book at the moment. Um, although he did actually get called up and, and Charleroi turned it down. So very possibly could be in for October. But um, it, it almost seems like it was a second thought that Gareca had because if, if he had been planning on calling him from the beginning, he would have they would have done all the paperwork work in time. It seems to have been some kind of like midnight decision. Gareca woke up, couldn't couldn't go to sleep. And uh, he had a nightmare with Benavente, and he was like, "Call up Benavente," and it was too late. That's kind of that's kind of what I get from that. Because honestly, why else would the club reject the offer? FIFA says you cannot reject it if all the paperwork is done in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, the the user seems to be asking. I'm assuming European players. You guys are are assuming that these are players that are European uh, of Peruvian descent, no. but. I was I was interpreting the question maybe just players that play in Europe. Yeah, that that's right? that's what I which, thought as well. So, which in that case, uh, or to, are we going to see Renato Tapia back at some point? Oh, uh, no, absolutely. And then I mean, obviously, like, come on, uh, what's it called? Advincula killed it. Yes, you know. So so obviously he will be back for sure. Well, Flores is no longer in Europe. I'm just trying to think of uh, other players that we have in Europe. Other than that, we have our, our two Russian stars. Uh, I don't know. Cueva keeps getting things with Cueva have been kind of flaky ever since the penalty. I don't know if we yeah. will ever forget forget about the penalty, but for the next few months, he's going to continue to be questioned because of that. And is, is he actually playing for his club? Maybe you guys can help me out not with this. Much, not much. Like, I haven't really heard not from him lot. at all. Not a lot. But I, I do want to add on to the Cueva thing. Cueva, I defended him uh, in the World Cup. I thought, like, aside from the penalty miss, he was very good in the tournament. But right. these two friendlies left a lot to desire. He was he was so ineffective. And um, I think he made a mistake on the craft door. I mean, yeah, I guess the Europa League, but... um. League is going to have lower opposition. I mean, the Russian league is not as good as the Brazilian league. Not playing. Yeah, but he wasn't playing. Yeah, but he could have gone to another South American club. He didn't have to go to Europe okay. just for the sake of playing Fair in Europe. But Fair that was also yeah. possibly the only. That was really the best offer he got, right? I mean, well, we don't know what. I, I mean, I mean, yeah, but like, right. I mean, I guess he kind of burnt his bridges at Sao Paulo. Yeah, but at the same time, you never know these things. I mean, it's kind of tough to tell. Well, but you also can't forget either that because he hasn't really, I mean, apart from the World Cup, he wasn't really playing before that. He comes back, doesn't train. He's behind on his on his match fitness, which was the same case with Anderson Santa Maria at Puebla. Um, yeah. And that's why he's not playing. So Cueva is still getting back into the groove of things. And let's not forget, even despite the penalty miss, which everybody harps on and everything, after the penalty miss, he actually had a very good World Cup if you just don't yep. look at that. Um, yep, you could argue I, I, I defended him for those specific reasons. 
But and and just because he doesn't do well in a pair of friendlies, people are just suddenly disregarding him. Um, now I do think well, he's that not because I know, but hang on, this is what I'm going to get to. Yeah. This is why you should have tested out someone like Benavente in the number ten yeah. role, who is in form, yeah. who would have given you more in that final third than Christian Cueva did, because pretty much he was invisible. I don't blame him for not playing well because I think given the situation, he was kind of behind the eight ball to begin with. And I do think that fans should ease up on him, but I do think that he should have maybe not played, let's say the full 90 or more minutes than he did because he clearly did not look match fit and or accustomed to that situation. I think yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second. Let me let me question this a little bit more. The, the reason we we have Cueva is because he's supposed to fulfill some kind of creative role. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's usually the one that's trying to feed balls to other people also and kind of keep the, the game moving forward. Yes. Question is, is Benavente really – is he a pusher? Is he a creator or is he just a finisher? I, I think that – he scored a lot of goals. I, I like it when they score goals. I mean, that's the reason why, if you remember Carrillo, Carrillo, honestly, he had that goal in the bag and he decides to give a last minute pass because he's not comfortable taking those shots. And we thought that he was getting over that and he, he seems to be falling back into that. So the question is, Benavente, how much of a creator is he com- uh, compared to or balanced to a finisher, uh, does he have what what it really takes to really replace Cueva, or should we start thinking of him some somewhere else? No, I think based on what I've seen with him at Charleroi, he definitely is a decent creator. Is he at the level of a Cueva? That's debatable. But I think given the fact that he gives you that scoring boost, I think he's more dynamic um, and a little less... Maybe not predictable is the right word, but he gives you a little more flair. I think that Cueva doesn't necessarily do all the time. I think Benavente is someone who always wants to be involved. And maybe in Peru's system, that doesn't necessarily suit him. But I think having that improvisation really could really help Peru, especially in situations where they're not on the front foot. Because if you watch Charleroi's games when they are counterattacking, Benavente is breathtaking to watch. Um, and I think that he was hard done by it in March because he wasn't really given a lot of minutes to play, but I also I think he was trying that, yeah. to do too much. I think when he was on the ball trying to do too much to impress the coaching staff. And I think because you have these friendlies, it's almost a case of why wouldn't you give him the opportunity to play given the fact that he can offer you a little bit more than Cueva can. Yeah, I, I agree with it. I, I thought that Benavente was trying a little bit too, a little bit too much in, uh, in March, yeah, like we said, there's a lot of options. Galicas has a lot of work to do. I mean, the squad's kind of having a stay, like I said. Uh, some players need to go until they get better. I mean, we're not going to rule them out completely. I mean, Yutun still has a lot of time in his career. But uh, I, I do think that some of these players have got to not take the easy way out. Uh, I think Trauk was the one that really needs to watch his spot because I thought he was very poor in the first game. Second game, he was okay. He, he, he got back to that offensive long ball strategy again that he always used. But defensively, he was a farce again because he he was letting everyone outside. Brandt was onside so many times just because he was out of position. So I think that we've got to watch out with that. But I, I do think that uh, Trauco, defensively, he's at his prime. He's not that bad. I think he's bad, but he's, he's like Mar- he's like Marcelo bad. Like, it's acceptably bad. Let's finish the other questions before we can wrap the section up. Um, so Abel Gamarra at Avalanda81 asked us, 
which duo should start in the central midfield positions, uh, Tapia and Yotun, Aquino and Yotun, or Tapia and Aquino. And as a bit of a follow-up to that, uh, Robbie C. asked us, has Aquino jumped Yotun in the starting 11? I will let either one of you guys go first on either of those in terms of the partnership uh, and whether Aquino has usurped Yotun. I think that it would be quite interesting to see Aquino Tapia. Uh, now, I'm trying to recall a moment where that might have happened. I feel like most of the time we're seeing Aquino as the backup for one or two, uh, especially if he was coming in for Tapia during the World Cup. Uh, I think that Tapia is not as good as a defender as Aquino is, and I think that until we can figure out our defense and kind of get it back into tune, Ramos and Rodriguez were great. Their time seems to be coming to an end. Rodriguez was really good at organizing everybody in back. And it looks like we're, we're going to need to work on, on that, on, on our defense a little bit more and kind of getting it back into balance and letting those guys get, get used to each other. The, 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 you know, Aranjo, Santa Maria, and the new guys are coming in. Uh, so, therefore, I think that having someone like Aquino that can, that does have some good skills going forward and also defending a little bit more than Tapia would, would be something to, that would reinforce the team. But no, I don't think Yotun has lost his spot in the squad either. Uh, I think that he still has, uh, like Brian said, room for improvement. And uh, yeah, I think it will depend a lot on, on also who, who we are uh, playing against that Gareca will probably make the decision on which two of the three will play. Uh, I think no, because I think... Uh... Tapia and Yotino are too similar. Now, I do think that Tapia is better at starting counterattacks than Aquino, but um, they're, they're very similar, both level-wise and uh, playing-wise, style-wise. I think they're both very similar. So uh, I think I think Aquino has been better at scoring goals. I mean, Tapia has scored his share of goals from corner as well. He's gotten close to scoring a few goals from corners as well. If you remember those chances he got against Argentina and Brazil and have corners, I mean, those they're both good at it. I think Aquino has gotten more of them, but... um. Tapia has had a share of goals as well, so you can't rule him out there. Uh, the one thing I will say about Tapia is he's not getting playing time at Feyenoord, so that could also affect him. And it's happened in the past. I remember uh, two years ago when we played Uruguay, uh, actually it was a year and a half ago, not even two years ago. He was terrible in that international day because he wasn't playing. And then he got some a run of games to Feyenoord, even though he wasn't performing at his best in those games. And he was playing out of position to, men, uh, to put, add on to that. He was um, he he played really well from there, and uh, I think that's really helped him. Uh, like playing time is so important, uh, and we realized that after Garekas got rid of Farfan, Sambrano, Barigas, uh, I think that's the, basically the quarter Fantasticos plus Sambrano. So I think that's a, that's a really important thing to consider. Now the other question, what uh, which was um, about which midfield pairing is the best? I say scrap all those options, and I say just try someone new in October and see how it works. It's a friendly. These two losses here, they were needed because there was a lot of work to do. Uh, some of these things we've noticed since the World Cup, but like you can vaguely notice them because the World Cup, they performed all right. They weren't terrible. They they played a good World Cup. I think that we could have gone through the groups. We got a bit unlucky against Denmark. We scored, we considered a very unlucky goal against France. I'm not blaming luck, by the way. We we did go out deservedly, but like you can vaguely see those problems will start to come into play. And now they've started to affect they start to affect us now. I mean, I mean, sure, we were punished then, but we weren't all that bad. We played well in the World Cup. Now we've been atrocious. So I think that, uh, well, at least in the Netherlands game anyways. 
I don't necessarily think that we were, well, okay, maybe not atrocious. I'm sure you were maybe exaggerating a little bit uh, in terms of the Netherlands <laughs> game, because I think for the first half, we were actually quite solid. We were shutting them down defensively. Uh, the problem just, is, just once, once they threw in Frankie de Jong, someone who could progress the ball forward, that's when you saw Peru kind of retreat into their shell, drop deeper, which Gadeca was apparently furious with, and I don't blame him. Um, and that's what led to the Netherlands coming back. But I also I mean, I, I want to interrupt you quickly, Peter. I think a lot of people say it was that first half that we played well. I disagree. I think just the first 20 minutes we played well because after that, uh, Peru were kind of just content with the 1 0. And they just spent the entire half just passing it, playing Tiki Talk on their own half, like passing it from one fullback to the other. And that was really frustrating. And I, I couldn't bear to watch it. So the whole game was a mess, in my opinion. I thought the second half was the worst part of it. Yeah, maybe, I guess. Defensively, anyways, they were actually quite solid throughout, I thought. Um, yeah, no, they have, a very, they have a very bright center-back for the future. They definitely do. Um, but anyways, we should probably move on because we still got like five questions left. So we will move on. Actually, there's one that was addressed to me on Pedro Aquino while we're still talking about him. By the way, I do agree with you guys. I still think it's Tapia Yotun as the partnership. But I do think that if you go with Aquino Tapia, I consider maybe starting Calcaterra on one of those wings, but having him drop centrally and to the wing, just to give you a little more drive in that midfield when you need it. Um, kind of similarly to what he does with, with Cristal. So that's a possibility too, especially in October when you got nothing to lose. But we'll move on to another Aquino-related question addressed to myself from Alonso Gurmendi at Alonso underscore GD asking, is Pedro Aquino the first good header of the ball in La Selección's long history of never being able to finalize a corner, oh, wow. or has he just been lucky? Now, we have had good headers of the ball, I think, mainly in the 1970s. But I will say this, Pedro Aquino, in terms of his technique, despite his short height, he is actually a quite solid header of the ball, and he's not afraid to get stuck in, as we've seen, both with his defensive duels on the corners. Um, height is on everything. You have to be able to time your leaps, um, obviously get good momentum with your jumps and to aim your headers properly, which I think he does do well, especially on his goal against the Dutch, which I thought was very well taken. Other than that, though, we obviously need a bigger sample size, but certainly based on, on what we have seen from him on the set pieces, certainly decent, given that he doesn't have the height advantage. All of the right on Rodriguez have been very good headers of the ball as well. Yes. We'll move on to a tactical question from Robbie C., Asking, will Gareca experiment with a back three to have Trauco more up the field as a wing back? Um, we got that question I, in the chat as well. So let's, yeah. let's answer it right now. Um, I actually considered that during the Germany game because if you think about it, they got a lot of great center backs, all of whom I think are coming through at the same time. Obviously, Abraham, Santa Maria, and Araujo being the three main ones. You have fullbacks who love to bomb up and down the pitch, especially at Bingula. Um, I don't think it would be a bad idea. I mean, especially when you have someone like Yoshima Yotun who's struggling on the ball, if he does happen to turn over possession, you have more cover back there with three center backs. I don't think it's a terrible idea. What do you guys think? I think that for, for that strategy to work, we just need to make sure that we're, we're playing tightly, that we're not too spread out on the field or else it's going to be a challenge whenever they take the ball away from us and, and trying to get all the team back or, or giving them way too much space to think 
but I think that as long as a team can stay kind of compact and and move well up, then then uh, no, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that bad of an idea. I think it would create a lot of we would see a lot of uh, offside traps and and we would see a lot of other strategies that come into play other than just trying to pack you know having to have, having foreign defense or something like that. I mean, we have the center backs to do it, but I'm still a bit skeptical because last time I suggested someone switch through the back, it was Alianza Lima, and uh, it was then <laughs> Melgada, Melgada destroyed them when they played through the back. But then again, yes, because Benzema totally listens to a pod, and he heard you say that was a very dodgy through the back, though. Like it was like two wingers instead of wing backs, and they were like open. I did a tactical, tactical analysis on it. You want to see it? <laughs> This is a disaster. I don't think Gareca will go stoop to that level. I also, just going back to the Abel Gamara question quickly, uh, I don't want to see Tapia and Yotu and, and the keynote at the same time just because I do think that um, that's a little bit too conservative. I mean, that's Colombia's been doing that with Beckham in the last four years, and it's not worked for them. So I don't want I don't really want to see it with us. I mean, it's worked, but like they've 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 literally been like grinding out results, like living living off like basic one nails are drawing like the last minute so i don't i don't like that idea i think we got to be more offensive because we have the center backs to carve the attacking players maybe in a certain situation you know like 20 yeah. minutes to go you want to defend the lead why not yeah no that that, that um, would be fine but I, just the starting two i don't i don't agree with it so we will finish off with like the player related questions uh with estrella amadora at a amadora asking why has Luis Advincula stagnated for so many years? He is superb. We got so many questions like this during the World Cup from people who had watched Advincula for the first time. They look at his Wikipedia page. They see right. all the clubs he's been at. And they're like, how on earth has this guy only just started to break through? The real issue for him has been he was a converted winger into a fullback, number one. And he just joined the wrong clubs at the wrong times. Very good in Argentina, no question about it. Yeah. Um, then he had the injury at Tigres, which kind of slowed him down for a few months. But generally speaking, that's been why he has stagnated. Plus injuries here and there too, like with every player. Um, but it, it is great to see that he is becoming an absolute beast. And let's be honest, if he continues in this form... Rayo Vallecano might not be able to afford to buy him at the end of the La Liga season. Another club oh, might actually come in for him and buy him. I don't know what you guys think. Well, we got to see Avincula more in the season. Uh, we got to see if he's able to withstand. I, I personally think he can. But you never know. Like Players can be flops. Players can be successes. So we never know. Hope, let's, hope it's, uh, let's hope it's the latter. Um, all right, so we got four questions left. Why don't we just kind of rattle through these quickly? Um, the last three, I'll kind of ask you guys each individually, because I think you might have your own unique take on it just to get through it. So we'll go around the table for this one. Uh, again, Estrella asking, which Peruvian player do you think is ready for Europe? I would assume to move to Europe. I mean, there's a lot of players I could say, but there's a lot, like, I feel like they're not going to get the game time they should. Like, I thought Cuervo was going to get a lot more game time. Yeah, but who, who has the quality to move to Europe? Like, who can go to Europe and be signed by a team? Like, that's... Oh, all three more. If that's what you're thinking. Waiting for that. No, oh, really. There's, there's a lot of names. Alexis Arias, I think, is the indicated one. Because I think I think all these players in the Peruvian League first, they've got to make the move to, uh, as a feeder league in South, or South America, 
Uh, well, not Central America, just no, not Central America, no. <laughs> no, but I, I do think that um, I don't think that Addis is the quality, but we gotta see them move to feeder clubs first. So feeder, no feeder clubs first. Uh, I want to see them move to an, an important club, but that's a bad asking for too much. Seeing as the patterns, how they've gone with Peru, is always going to small Mexican clubs. Which Betelos Silva, he has joined Tigres, I'm pretty sure. So yes. maybe maybe him as well. But we gotta, he's gotta, we gotta see if he play first. We gotta see because he's making, he keeps making poor decisions. But let's see if I'm wrong. All right, Christopher, what do you think? I- I think the the perfect case would be someone like Jordi Reina back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Have a solid season at one of the big Peruvian clubs and then think about going to Europe. Either that or do like uh, Brian just said, go to Mexico, or go to Argentina, go to Brazil somewhere and then go to Europe. Uh, yeah, I think when it comes to player development, Peru still lagging lagging behind. I think Cristal has a pretty good system right now. Maybe Alianza Lima, but other than that, the other Peruvian clubs are not really quite there in developing Europe-ready players. Hmm. So that's kind of what I'm what I'm leaning towards. Yeah, the one name I will throw out there in terms of Peruvians abroad, but not in Europe, who I think is most ready, Pedro Aquino, and I think that's pretty obvious. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Well, right. But, but other than that, I mean. You know, I, I don't think the the list is very long. Let's say maybe Anderson Santa Maria if he can get game time. I'm I sure. Think, he I think Anderson Santa Maria for sure has the quality. I think he's the one with the most quality actually. Because if you look at his history, I learned the Wanoko and Melgar. He's played pretty much everywhere. He's played as a striker. He's played as a midfield. Uh, actually, particular in that striker season, he finishes one of the top scorers of the Peruvian league. So it's not a surprise that it's why he has so much technical ability. So he's he's kind of total football view, if you if you may. Uh, I think that there's some room for improvement in defense, but he showed that he's a very good defensive sound player as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we'll now rattle through one by one. I'll ask one of you guys each the question. Okay. Uh, you answer it, then we move on. So, Brian, quick answers, please. Okay? So, <laughs> I told you quick um, answers. So, so Estrella I don't asked, is Marcos Lopez really one to watch? So, Brian, I'll give that one to you. I mean, I haven't seen as much as I would, would have liked, to be honest. I've seen more, the like, he's not played a whole lot for Cristal. The, the bits I have seen have been impressed. Like, I mean, he's young, so he can still convert him. I don't like the idea of uh, moving him up to uh, a, a winger because we have too many of those. I would rather him stay as a fullback if he's effective there. Uh, like I said, this this season, Tavares Silva introduced the playing the fullback as a winger. And then everyone seems to have caught on to that. I've seen Gisa Sola play as a winger. I've seen, obviously, Roberto Villamarín play as a winger. So I don't get it. Why is Lopez playing as a winger as well? Like, it seems to be a trend this season. I mean, I know I know that happens in every club in the world, but it's like a bigger trend here. And it's kind of annoying me. So, Christopher, for you, uh, because you love to wear different kits on the show from time to time, uh, Jerónimo Latorre at Jerónimo underscore 21 asked us, what are your thoughts on the new Marathon uniforms? Oh, jeez. Okay, <laughs> obviously, I think that the biggest mistake was trying to go way too avant-garde with the national team uniform. I think that the national team uniform needs to be very classy, very classy at all times. You can get creative in the ways that you do things, but you can't go full brand new, you know, year 2030 kid you know because it represents a country it's not like a club where you can change the kid every year 
you know, and, and you know, it's a, it's a new hip thing. That's, that's really where all of that should happen. National teams should always try to stay classy. I think Marathon uh, did a bad job with it. But I do have to say, I really, really, really like the away kit. I think I'm, I'm considering buying the away kit because I, I do think that one looks a lot more classy than than the, the home kit for sure. Anyways, we'll recap or finish off the show, excuse me, uh, with Robbie asking the final question. How special was it to see all those Peruvians in Germany making it like a home match? I have to admit, I did not think there were that many Peruvians living around the area. I even mm-hmm. asked one of my German friends who lives in the area if there are a lot of Peruvian expats. He says not really. They must have traveled from Switzerland, Netherlands. Yeah. There. Kevin Montalban was there. so. But it was nice to see, certainly. Um, Peruvians, look, we're everywhere, man. <laughs> you can't, yeah. no matter where the game is, from Wellington to Miami and everywhere in between. We're like, we're like ants. We're there, yes. <laughs> Just, you can't get rid of us, man. We show up everywhere. Yeah, first of all, Look forward to the special pod tomorrow, part two, in the because uh, <laughs> last week last week you kind of had a misunderstanding, me and Christopher, so we weren't able to do the two hours we planned. So we did the first hour in Segunda División, and now we're gonna do Copa Peru. Uh, that's what we're gonna do tomorrow, me so, and Christopher. So we had such fun time nerding out about lower divisions. <laughs> we're gonna do it again. <laughs> we're gonna finish what we started, basically. So um, we're gonna end the pod here. First of all, Christopher, is there someone you want to shout out in particular? This is tough. This is really tough. But I stick to my colors, okay? Sporankash lost 8-2 this weekend. We ended with nine nine men on the field. It was very rough. Three goals were scored by the opposing team in the first 20 minutes of the game. But you know what? You know, I'm, I'm a true fan. I have been following this team since I was eight years old and we won the Copa Peru in 2004. And I'm gonna stick to my guns. So, so no matter what, rain or shine, Barancas all the way. Respect, respect. Well, now you have now you have four tough games left. But if you win both against Cipesa and uh, get a point with, against Benus, and you should be Elink at home. Uh, yeah, we should be fine. We should be fine. We need to win our two home games and then give Cipesa heck away. I think we still have chances to make it between the first 24. Uh, absolute scenes when Christopher Chalou knocks you out in the fourth game. Next player. It <laughs> no. celebrates. It celebrates. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Enough of that. Enough okay. Of that. Well, my Twitter handle is B underscore Bertie 98. Uh, Christopher, what is yours? V-I-Z underscore F-C. All right. And Peter, how are you as well as the shows? Yes. You can follow me at Galindo PW. Follow the show at Peru Waltz. Subscribe on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Leave a review for us. It is much appreciated. And yeah, do tune into the special podcast tomorrow because these two guys know more about lower division Peruvian football than anybody else I know. So if you want to nerd out with them, please tune in. So this has been the Peruvian Waltz team and uh, we're signing off. Corrubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección